0: Start with me if you in your Bible, if you will, to first John. Go all the way back toward Revelation and then kick back a few chapters. First John, we're gonna look at chapter number one. First John, chapter number one. It's uh this Christian walk. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then we have a daily walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, and looking at materials and looking at, looking at things, looking at discipleship and things like that, and, and in seeing someone who, who came from the bottom of the barrel over the following year and, and is really doing well, and there's a key to that but there's a lot of people in their Christian life they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior but then they battle the same thing over and over and over and it pounds them and uh, it's kind of like, like playing racquetball with yourself and it just hits you in the head every time you keep hitting it toward the same spot on the wall and it just comes back and hits you but there's, there's much more to this Christian life than simply placing your trust in Jesus Christ of course that's key you don't get into heaven without trusting jesus christ as your savior that's key but to to just get your ticket and i got it i'm saved i'm going to heaven let's go and just heading on or whatever people it's kind of like if i gave you a new car and i know some of you already have your dream car but try to dream of what your dream car would be I mean, we're talking, let, let's do sports car, 200 miles an hour. That thing will book, man, and it's safe, you know. You can have fun in this thing, and it's safe. I give it to you, and you you see it there in your driveway. You get in the driveway, and you play around with the buttons and knobs and all that, but you never drive it anywhere. You're kind of missing out on the point of the car, right? You kind of... You, you, you got the car, it's yours, you do what you want, but you're kind of missing out on what the car can do for you. I remember when Megan was little, figured it out, she was about three years old, we were in Thomasville, Georgia. We, uh, we bought her a Barbie Jeep. I mean, power wheels, that thing, I mean, that thing just looked like it climbed as much as a kid could do, you know, and I was just, I'm, I'm a boy. I wanted to see her running that thing over some little ant hills or something, you know. Get her out there, and she's got this nice. I mean, it's got straps with Velcro for seatbelt and everything. And I'm just ready. And she sits in. Oh, this is so nice. She gets out. She puts groceries in the in the front, the trunk, you know, the hood under the hood. And she shuts the hood and does that and sits down. And I'm, I'm just. <laughs> and she drives two feet. And she stops and she looks down and she says, what's that? I said, that's grass. Hit the pedal. <laughs> she drives another two feet and she says, what's that? I said, it's more grass. Hit the pedal. <laughs> Drive this thing. But you know, that's kind of like what people do with their Christian life. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's a whole life of victory ahead. You know, and there's going to be trials. There's going to be troubles. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to paint it all pretty. But people hold on to their ticket, and they just stay in the driveway, or they just kind of admire the grass, and uh, they end up sitting on the porch. I call it sitting on the porch because somebody gets saved, and, and they'll sit there and And think about that salvation. They'll be grateful for what God did for them. But God didn't save you just to sit there. He wants your praise. He wants your thanks. But he didn't save you just to sit there. He's got a whole life ahead for you. So you're sitting on the porch. And a lot of times, uh, I'm of the firm belief that when you're saved, you're really saved. You didn't work to get it, you don't work to keep it. There's a danger in that, you understand that. I've pointed that out before, because if you think that, well, I got it, I don't do anything, well, you're, you're on the wrong track. But uh, when you're saved, you're really saved. Ephesians 4.30 tells us that the Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption. Now, that's a pretty plain statement now. You say, well, you're grabbing a verse, Brother Keith. I am, but it's a good verse. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Think about that statement, sealed until the day of redemption. I give you a package, and I seal it, and it's not to be opened until the day of redemption. Let's carry it a little further. You go into the book of Revelation, where we're studying, there's seven seals in there. I'm not saying this is one of them, but those seven seals, there was only one that was qualified so break those seals. You understand what I'm saying? That one that was qualified, because the, in the book of Revelation, he mourns, is there, none, is there none able? And it was the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ was the only one that could break that seal. When you think about your salvation like that, that's eternal security. That's secure in the Lord. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but the problem is, some people think, They think back on what they've done, what they've messed up. Uh, John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. There's the qualification. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Hath. Hath. Might have. No. Maybe. No. You have. Have eternal life. And shall not come into condemnation. Shall not. Those are pretty definite statements. Over there in the book of John. Chapter 5 verse 24. Shall not come into condemnation. But is passed from death unto life. So you have everlasting life when you're saved. This is your standing before God. And uh, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ. Now there's another part of you. And uh. Think about water. You know, water is water, right? The other part of you is your state. See, water is water, but it can have many states. You know, with water, it can be all kinds of different states. It can be cold. It can be lukewarm. It can be hot. It can be frozen. It can be snow. You know, they get to a microscope. All those little individual snowflakes, it's all water formed into it. It can be moisture. It can fall from the sky. It can be boiling hot. It can evaporate, and it can vaporize. And, you know, from working at the power plant, working at the plants, it can be superheated. You say, what's superheated? That's, that's heating it up past the point at which it vaporizes. But it's still there, still steam. Keeps it from condensing. Water changes its state. But every time, no matter what state it's in, whether it's frozen, whether it's up in the air, whether it's droplets, it's always two atoms of hydrogen. Did I get this right? I tried to make sure. Yeah, it's two atoms. (laughs) Y'all having fun with me. It's two atoms of hydrogen and it's one atom of oxygen, H2O. And, uh, No matter what state it's in, basically it's standing is as water. Your Christian walk, you have different states. You have times when you're up, you have times when you're close to the Lord, you have times when you're away from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. Now, the definitive in this statement is, if any man be in Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, it says, he is a new creature, or you are a new creature. That means you've changed. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've changed. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We talked a little bit about Romans 6, if you remember that conversation, and you know what I'm referring to. If not, that's not part of this sermon. If you become a new creature and old things are passed away, how does that jive with some of the lives of people who claim to be Christians and yet you can't tell it by their lifestyle? There's people that say they got saved when they were young then their lifestyle just leads them off in a different direction. Well, God knows their heart. God knows where they were. But your state can change. In uh, Philippians, if if your salvation changed according to what you do on a daily basis or how you felt on a daily basis, or whether or not you feel saved, then you would never have the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, this is Paul wishing to the Philippians, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That peace of God is knowing that you have salvation through Jesus Christ, knowing that God's in control. Your standing with God would change on a daily basis. Each day, the entire struggle as a Christian would be questioning. You'd be asking yourself, well, am I really saved? Am I saved today? I remember one time I was talking to my friend on the phone and a long time ago, and I said, I don't feel like a preacher today. My friend, who is a preacher and he's a good preacher, he's a you know he's got his doctorate now, but uh he I fought with a printer today he uh he said, "What does a preacher feel like i just I never forgot it. I mean, that was like two thousand three when he said that. Yeah, what does a preacher feel like?" I know i kind of know what it feels like i know when i feel close to the lord i know when i feel drawn close to the lord and i feel like i'm walking close to the lord i know what that feels like and 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 when that's going on and you're thinking well i'm saved i'm saved you know i I know it i know i'm i just listening to god but then there's the other times maybe you begin to drift maybe you get a little way maybe you ship the oars you put them back in the boat you start drifting back down the river and he starts to say, well, I, you know, I'm not so sure. If you don't understand your standing versus your state, you're going to be constantly, your life, your, your destination is going to be constantly at battle, and you'll never get off the porch. And there's a whole world out there. You're like that new car sitting in the driveway that you're not using. I'm not going to pick on Megan too much, but you're kind of like that Barbie Jeep. You ain't tearing up, Right? some of y'all would want it to last forever. Just so you know, she started to get the hang of it right about the time she almost outgrew it. It, They should have made the thing a little bigger because she was ready to ride it then, but now the knees were starting to get up around the steering wheel. (laughs) So in essence, you continue to sit on the porch and only think of yourself when there's an entire world out there. And God has a plan for you. God has something for you to do. There's things for you to experience with the Lord, but you're just sitting on the porch. He wants you to move past that point. And uh, in this passage, I'm going to show you a better way. I'm assuming that's what you're here for. That's why you're in church. You say, well, I want want to draw close to the Lord. That's why you're here in church. I would hope. I would hope that my church people don't just say, well, you know, I just want to show up and get my i get my points in. I, I think I've preached enough against that. But, uh, you don't want to just be a religious person. You want to know. Because religious people are no fun, right? A car sitting in the driveway is no fun. You can sit in the car, you, you know, sit in the driveway, complain about the pine, falling pine tree, sap falling on it, or whatever. You got pine trees? We do. You can get complaining about it. Or... You get out on the road and feel it. Now, look at John, First John, look at verse number 3. I'm not going to confuse it by reading the other verses, much as I want to. But First John, verse number 3. Chapter 1, verse number 3. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. And John's talking about the time that he spent with Jesus Christ. He said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that ye also, this is the reason, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Well, that's a good thing. It wants them to have fellowship. We see fellowship here. That ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, right there in that verse, you see three parts. Now, I want to talk about five areas of fellowship in your life. When when you're maintaining these, you know, is it an easy formula? Is it going to solve everything? Is this an infomercial? I don't know. But I'm telling you, if you let these areas go, if you don't pay attention to them, you're going to be on this side. You're going to be sitting on the porch, and you're going to be saying, am I saved today? But if you maintain these five areas of fellowship in the proper way, you'll be on this side and say, Lord, what will you have me to do today? So first of all, if we're going to talk about fellowship, what is fellowship? Well, that's a dinner where we get together and everybody brings potluck, right? I love a fellowship dinner. Fellowship is a relationship. When you're walking together as one. There's enough older people here, you know, when you've been married long enough. When you don't have fellowship with your spouse and things go bad, think about it like this. When you don't have fellowship with your spouse and things go bad, it's going to take some deep conversations to get things on the, back, on the right path. You understand what I'm saying? There's going to become a divide there that's got to be crossed. Because things have been getting further and further and further and further apart. And if you want to work them out, if you want to get back to that point, back to the drive-in theater or back... i show my age. (laughs) Back to being gathered around the streaming service. If you're not maintaining your fellowship in your relationship with your spouse, you're going to get further away. It's going to take a lot of deep conversations. It's going to take a lot of tears shed. It's going to take a lot... to get back together, to get on the same page. And some people don't do it. And I understand that. But the couple that maintains that fellowship, that friendship, the couple that, you know, date night, whatever it takes, it, it's a couple that, as they, as they grow older, their relationship gets even closer. There's things I appreciate about Dee Dee now that I didn't appreciate or know about when I was, uh, when I was younger. But you learn more about each other. When you maintain that close fellowship and things go wrong, what does it take? It just takes a look. It just takes a smile. It takes a... I I said it was two words. I think it's really three words because it's a contraction. I'm sorry. That's all it takes. Think about the difference between that. A marriage that goes on for 25 years, but they maintain that fellowship... Or goes on for 50 years, however many years, and they maintain that relationship, that closeness together, doing things together, not ignoring each other. And and it just comes down to you do something wrong, and it's like, well, I'm sorry about that. And it's mended. On the other hand, it gets further and further and further apart. And you got to pay a third party, and you're talking to them, and you're trying to straighten it out. And you're, well, he does this, and she does that, and you got to get past all of that. And you got to go through all these woods to get back together if you can. Y'all follow me on this? Am I too far off in the woods? It's the same thing with fellowship with the Lord and in these five areas that I'm talking about. So let's look at it first. He says in uh, verse number three, he says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's look, number one, our fellowship with God. He says, truly our fellowship is with the Father. You know, we have it good in the church age. We have it pretty good. We pray directly to God wherever we are. Wherever you are, you can be in the grocery store, you can be at home alone, you can be in your car, you can, you can stand, you can kneel, you can get down on your face before God. You know, I think Didi Half makes fun of me sometimes when I'm getting ready to preach. I, I can't do anything but lay flat on my face on the floor <laughs> and say, God, please help me. These people are mean. <laughs> Give me something to help them with. But uh, God so made it so we can pray directly to him. We can, we can speak directly to God and we can petition him. We can make our prayers known. We can ask forgiveness. Like over in 1 John 1, 1.9 it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it wasn't always that way. In the Old Testament, uh, go to Exodus chapter twenty-nine, if you would. If you want to, if you don't, just stay with me. Exodus chapter number twenty-nine. I'll get there with you. We're going to look at uh, verse number forty-two. This is Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. And God's about to set something up for him. He says in verse number 42, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you, where I will meet you to speak there unto you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister unto me, minister to me in the priest's office, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, it wasn't always as easy as we got it because when God set it up, And when he painted the picture for us, that eternal picture, and if you want to learn more about it, you go to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm not going to go there, but if you're that kind that studies the word, go to Hebrews chapter 9 and look at how all that represents our relationship with Christ, through Christ. But God set it up. He said, in order for you to worship me, you're going to build this tabernacle. It's a great big tent. I don't like to call it a tent. I like to call it a tabernacle, so when you see it in the New Testament, you go right back to it. But that's where God dwelt. That's where that cloud came down. And God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And in order to approach, no one could approach without making a sacrifice. And there were certain skins on the outside. There were certain skins on everything. It was built in a certain way. And the priest had a certain office he had, he had to do certain things, and they would only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. He had to make a sacrifice for his own sins in order to be able to approach, approach the Holy of Holies. And when he went in there, I'm told he had bells on his feet, not because it was cute, but because if he wasn't right with God, he'd be struck down. I'm also told, and I don't know, preachers have said, he had a rope on his foot. If it didn't go so well, nobody else had to go in there. they just pull him back out. But in order to approach God, all these sacrifices had to be made. In order to have fellowship with God, you had to be around the tabernacle. You had to go to the tabernacle and make your sacrifice. We take it for granted. That you can be sitting in your car at a red light and praying to God about a problem. That you could be sitting around the dinner table And pray to God and thank Him for the meal. And they could pray, they could pray anywhere. But here's the big thing that you could say, Lord, I'm confessing my sins now. And 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here in the tabernacle, a sacrifice had to be made, a life had to be taken. Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for the soul. It is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And it says uh, Moses in his relationship, in his relationship with God, he spoke face to face with God as a man. Look in uh, Exodus 33. 33, verse 11. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now, out of all the hundreds and thousands of the children of Israel, Moses is the one that's mentioned speaking to God face to face. Or speaking as a a man speaketh unto a friend. You know, we have that privilege. We have that privilege to be able to speak to God as we do to a friend. Some of the best prayers to me are the ones where someone just speaks from the heart. You know, there's holy and religious prayers, and, and sometimes I feel guilty listening to them. That's all I can say, Lord, it's me again. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So God continued to meet with Israel through the temple that Solomon built, and then he continued to meet with Israel through the other temples all the way up until Jesus' day. You remember, Jesus was in the temple. Well, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So we've gone from that time, and we're talking about fellowship, fellowship with God. We've gone from that time where you had to go to the tabernacle, where you could only go in the Holy of Holies once a year. We've gone to this time to where now you are the temple of God. When you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, you're sealed into the day of redemption. You receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our connection with God. So now you are the temple. And then there's another one mentioned in that verse. Uh, 1 John chapter number 1, if you want to go back to it. Or if you're still there. 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 3. It says, and with his son, Jesus Christ. You have fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's quite a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our advocate with the Father. And he's our, one day He'll be our Redeemer. I never understood that word redeeming until I bought a house. And it's just something I didn't fully understand he is the earnest of our inheritance or that you know you had to put forward the earnest money and then when you took possession of the house you redeemed it in a sense but the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance Jesus Christ is the redeemer he's the one that paid the penalty he's the one that paid for us I told you a story before it just occurs to me Dr. Peacock tells this story I love it a little boy with the boat he built a boat a little boat and he puts it in the puts it in a little river, the stream, and he puts it down there, and he follows it, and it's a beautiful one. You know, it's got beautiful sails, and it just goes, man, that thing sails off, and then it goes off into a turn, and he can't follow it, and he loses it, and he's without it for a while, and then one day he's in town, and he's walking by the toy shop, and he sees that boat in the window, and he knows that's the one he built. He knows for every string, every knot. He knows every carving on it, because he put it there. He goes into the owner, and the owner, he, he says, well, that, that's the boat that I made. And the owner says, uh, well, that's, that's my boat. You're going to have to buy it. The boy went and worked, and he cut yards. He did whatever he had to do, and he went back, and he bought that boat, because he had lost it. But when he got that boat, he said, now you really are mine. I bought bought you twice. He redeemed it. And then there's fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Our relation with Jesus Christ is through salvation. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He's the doorway to God the Father. He said, I am the door of the sheepfold. If anybody comes up any other way, they're a thief and a robber. Jesus paid that penalty. And then he left us with a comforter. He left us with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit as a ministry. Our fellowship is with God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth within you, with you, and shall be in you. He said, "I will not leave you comfortless, I will come." And then uh, he gives us reassurance of salvation. In John 14:19, he said, "Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more." But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Verse 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He said, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us in time of need. And then in Romans eight fourteen he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that's maintaining your fellowship. You remember over in Galatians when it lists the things? If you walk in the flesh, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Over there in Galatians five seventeen, Maintaining your fellowship. Walking in the Spirit. Walking with the Lord. He said, but when the comfort is come, whom I will send unto you, let's see, Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit reassures. You can quench the Spirit. I mean, let's get practical. And that comes next. The Bible says quench not the spirit of God whereby you were sealed until the day of redemption. Anything think about that word quench. It's like putting down a fire. It's like something that's trying to exist. I'm just, I'm just speaking out of hand here. It's just something that's trying to light up and you quench it. You just pour water on it and put it out. God's Holy Spirit is trying to light you up, trying to fire you up. And every time you say no, every time you go the other way, you go your own way, you're quenching the Spirit. You know, and people do that. There's people, and we, we'll see it in the, in the witnessing, you know. There's people that, that accept that Christ as their Savior, but time and again, when they're faced with that fork in the road, they say, no, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. The Holy Spirit... This withdraws. The Bible talks about be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunken with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and and I'm not talking about getting crazy, talking in tongues. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit. God, God's Spirit fills you. He begins to show you things. He, but the minute he can work his ministry within you. Do you follow me on this? I feel like I'm struggling trying to say it. Sometimes you just it's hard to paint that picture. You begin to quench God's spirit, and then you wonder why you don't feel close to God. You begin to go your own way, and then you wonder why you're not going God's way. You get further down the road, and you look back, and you say, well, here I am over here. I used to be over here. It's so hard to get back. Y'all follow me on that? That's one. He'll keep you pointed in the right direction. John sixteen seven says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. <clears throat> These are all right together when you look for them. John 14, John 15, John 16. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In other words, he'll bring conviction he says, and he will teach you the things of God. You begin reading God's word. You're walking with the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, and you say, yeah, I don't need to do that. I don't need to go there. And you begin to, I, I need to spend time in the word. I need to spend fellowship with the Lord. That time together. Remember the husband and wife? They spent time together. And with a word. With, with three words. I am sorry. They're able to mend the relationship. And they're able to go on together. But you know a marriage is broken up, a marriage that doesn't have fellowship, it doesn't get anything done. It's just a constant pulling back and forth. Amen? So it says in 14.16, 14.26, shall, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things... And bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Bring things to remembrance. I think i said this in the last couple weeks. In other words, you don't learn by osmosis. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you automatically understand everything in the Bible, everything that God has to show you. It's a daily walk. It's a daily fellowship, spending time with the Lord and His Word. He'll begin to show you things. He'll begin to open things up to you in his word and he'll speak to you. Say, you remember that fella that you got all mad about? You do you remember that fella? Look over here at the lame man. You see what he's going through? You have no idea what that fella might be going through. He just begin to speak to you about things. He begin to show you open doors. He will seal you. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, there's areas of fellowship to maintain. There's also an area of fellowship to avoid. Look over in First uh, John chapter number one. We're almost there. Hang in. First John chapter number one. Let's look at verse number five. He says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is something John had a grasp on. When you look over in uh, John chapter number one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, In him was light and the light was the life of men. So he says over here in John 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, that's Jesus, and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. The one area of fellowship to stay away from is the area of wickedness. Avoid him walking in the dark. And then the last one: look at uh, verse number three and verse number seven. So in verse number three, he says, "That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you may also that you also may have fellowship with us." Now, let's let's just kind of grab a hold of that. Let's think about who he's talking about having fellowship with. John is talking to Christians. He's talking to saints. And he says that you may have fellowship with us. John walked with Jesus Christ for for three and a half years while he was here on this earth. John was the one that saw him crucified on the cross. And John saw him rise from the grave. John saw Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. John saw Jesus in the storm. John spent time with Jesus. and Not only that, by this time, John is old and he's been walking with the Lord even though the Lord wasn't there. He was still walking with the Lord his entire life. And he says that you may have fellowship with us. Now we take that for granted, right? But there's saints within this church. There's saints within this world that have been walking with the Lord for a long time and that have things to teach. And if you hadn't been, don't get the big head. But I mean, we all have our walk, but It's when we gather together and you're all here. We're here to bond in the Lord, to have fellowship with each other in the Lord. And he's saying that you may have fellowship with us. So the final fellowship to maintain is fellowship with the righteous. Hang around the saints. Those are good examples. They say you become what you hang around with. And, uh, preachers used to say, you may as well enjoy yourself. they already seen your car outside. But uh, in verse number 7, he says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, one with another, one with another. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, to be you followers of me. I want to leave out the second half. And let you think about that. I mean, Paul saying, "Be followers of me." We just went through uh, a good chunk of First Corinthians where Paul was saying not to divide up into factions. Right? I won't go into all of it, but you remember, Paul was telling them not to line up behind Apollos, not to line up behind Paul, not to line up behind Cephas, and you know, not to line up behind all these. One says, "I'm of Paul." One of them says, "I'm of Apollos," and he spends three, four chapters telling them. Not to line up behind a man, but in First Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 1, he says, Be ye followers of me. But well, there's more to the verse. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. <clears throat> Whether you like it or not, do as I say, not as I do. It's doing the word of God. Is following Jesus Christ. And there's people on this earth that have been following Jesus Christ that have set the example. I'm not going to call anybody out. I think of people in my life that, that, that have set examples that, that I look at. I think of preachers. I think of Brother Grady Stokes. I think of, I think of Brother of Dr. Walker. I think of Dr. David Peacock. Those are preachers I know. I think of uh, Brother Bevan Welder out in Corpus Christi. I think of Hector Rodriguez in Texas City. I think even, even of uh, Brother Charles over at Lighthouse. You know, whether you have a disagreement or something with somebody or not, when they're walking with the Lord, you have something to learn from them. Every man, every person, every woman, they got their fallings. But as they follow the Lord, there's something to learn from. You know, we have a saying when we listen to sermons. And it's like, well, why are you listening to that preacher? Well, you got to pick the meat off the bones. You ever get a good chicken? <laughs> there's some good meat on the bones. You can't eat the bone, but there's, there's, some, there's some good pieces of meat right there. If you can carve them out of all the other stuff. You listen to preaching, you may not agree with all of it, but you pick the meat off the bones. And you listen for what God's trying to show you. That's how you have fellowship with the Lord. Not by being critical of everything, but of saying, Lord, what do you want me to learn out of this? Because that preacher, at some point in his life, got up in the pulpit. He studied God's Word. He may have fallen on it. He may have done what? But God can still use a man. God can still speak to you through somebody, whether you agree with him or not. You've got to be careful now. But uh, he said, be ye followers of me, even as I also... Am of Christ. Learn from the good. When you're watching somebody's life, you can pick the meat off the bones because there's parts where people excel, there's other parts where they fall short. You can pick the meat off the bones. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this person? That's how you have fellowship with God. So that when you get down the road, you're not still up on the porch. And you're down on your knees and you're saying, I'm so far from where I used to be, Lord. I remember when I was a kid. I remember, I remember walking down that aisle. I remember accepting you. I remember knowing I was a child that was going to hell. I knew I'd lied to my mom. I knew that I'd done this. I knew that I'd done that. As young as I am, Lord, I know that I sinned. I knew that I sinned. Or they're just so far away from that time. There's so many things that have gotten in the way. There's so many things, so much heartache down the road. Or you can be one that's been learning this, maintaining your fellowship with God, maintaining your prayer life, maintaining your Bible reading life, maintaining your church life, your fellowship around Christians. Such Such a chasm to cross right here. But on this side, the one that's been walking with the Lord and maintaining these five areas of fellowship. He's off the porch. He's down the roadways. Walking along. And it's a rock. Falls off into the ditch a little bit. Said, Lord, I'm sorry. It's all right, son. It's right here. You get right here. I'll walk with you. I've been with you the whole time. How are you in your fellowship? As she plays...